We thrive in well-structured environment. We thrive. And if you can learn to create your own structure, it's game on. Well, welcome podcast listeners. This week, I'm really excited to introduce to you Melissa Hood. And Melissa has a really powerful story of how she went from losing more than 40 jobs in 15 years to now being a researcher, best-selling author. She has won high achievement awards. And in addition to that, has done amazing work around ADHD and the things that get in our way or can prevent us from going after our big dreams and settling for less. Melissa, I noticed that you also refer to yourself as Missy. Do you have a preference for how you refer to Miss Melissa or Missy? I go by Missy. I'm not that formal. <laughs> nice. I like Missy. I think that's kind of a cool name. And it is less formal. So for our guests and for myself, you'll be Missy today. Missy Hood today. Not a problem. Not a problem. Excellent. So Missy, could you fill us in on a little more depth of your background and then tell us something, because I know from just the little bit I know about you, mm-hmm. that you've had a number of big hurdles you've gone over in your mm-hmm. life. So if you could share with us like one major challenge after you introduce yourself and how you dealt with that, how you moved beyond that. Well, well, a little bit about me. I actually came out of a very creative industry. I was in TV and film for about 10 years and I was a designer, a costuming designer for 28. And when you're creative, having a learning disability, or I don't consider disability, a learning challenge isn't as noticeable. And it's because you're using the right side of your brain versus the left side of your brain. But given that I am really, really, even though I'm creative and I feel like I'm gifted in the arts and things, it's just that usually ADD, ADHD people are really high IQ thinkers. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. It's just what I've learned and interacting and working with people like myself. We draw people to ourselves that are like ourselves. So I've had a lot of opportunities to study and learn that. But we get bored easy. But we get so bored easy. That's why we have so many different interests and why we, we're always looking for the next best thing. And, and it's why we're, and at first, you know, we, we're struggling, the less mature the mind, we struggle with finishing things and just all kinds of things like that. And so, but I came out of the creative end and ended up delving into the inspirational end where I could possibly help people. And so I wanted to make a difference. And so instead of just, kind of, I guess, pursuing my own things. And so this is lending to that. But my challenges, is that what you want me to go into too? Well, yes. I mean, to have that compressed of a time frame, you know, 15 years, if you said calendar years may sound like a long time, but it's not a long time when you think mm-hmm. about shifting jobs and changing and even I guess not. perceptions, yeah. right? Yeah. And you know, what's interesting is because of being high IQ thinker, I've always also been an overachiever and I was maintaining dual careers because I got bored. And so I'd shift out of the design field and go into say office management where I could use the left side of my brain. But then I would struggle keeping jobs because of the way I learned. And so I was always drawn over here because I wanted to overcome that. And I thought there's got to be a way to overcome this instead of being stuck over here. And not like I was stuck. It was a great thing either way, but it's just my nature to try to find ways to overcome. 
because I believe if there's a will, there's a way. Let me back you up for just a second and ask a little bit more about the being stuck on one side or the other. When you say that you wanted to find a way to overcome, was that overcoming your challenges with the analytical and the kind of practical thing or the challenges like of blending both sides, your creative with the other side of your brain? I believe that the learning challenges were about how my brain processes information and how I implement that in order to do a job. And so it was easy for my brain to operate in the creative avenue, but it was difficult for it to operate in high critical thinking. And, but I knew I was, I mean, ADD, ADHD people are very, very out of the box thinkers. They're very high IQ thinkers. And I, a hundred to one, most of them are above average in their IQ. And so for me, I would get bored every time I went back over into the creative. And so I needed to find a way to assist my brain in maneuvering through the learning processes of the jobs that I thought I could function well in. And I'd always wanted to be an office manager. And to most people, that probably isn't a big deal. But to me, it was because of the challenges it presented and because of the different multi-streams that played into the job. And I thought, you know, I'm smarter than that. There's got to be a way for me to be able to function in a world. And I don't know if it was just the fact of me trying to prove to the world that, yes, I can do this or to myself. I don't know. But I ended up getting in a job and I really had a really understanding boss. And I was terrified to tell her about ADHD. And the day I told her, she was just awesome because she looked at me and she was super busy and she just kind of put her pencil down and she looked up at me and she said, Missy, I think everybody's ADHD. She goes, go do your job. <laughs> just kind of, okay, so now I'm okay with that, you know? And, but yeah, um, in that job, it was a zillion details. I mean, a zillion details coming at me every day, all day, having to shift gears every other moment, people interrupting my thought processes, what for ADHD people, we hate. We absolutely hate that. And so what I found myself doing is utilizing tools like my cell phone or my calendar on my desk or my computer calendar. I was utilizing all three at once. So it gave me visuals, it gave me reminders, and I could plug into my cell phone reminder pings where it would ping out loud to make me look at different things. And I would stay right on schedule. And I developed this system that ended up winning me employee of the quarter, like five times in three years. I got nine pay raises in the eight years I was there and ended up saving my employer like over $10,000 during that nine years. And so I was just all the way around. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm sitting here tooting my own horn, but it was a system that I learned and I made it work. And then I wrote a book about it. <laughs> it's crazy. It was just crazy. Absolutely crazy. Well, what's interesting already about what you've shared is you had to go over a huge hurdle just to tell your employer that you mm-hmm. felt you didn't feel like you were enough, right? You felt like you were failing. And due to your, whether you call them learning challenges or just being in the world with your mm-hmm. makeup, right? And yeah. What a great response from her. It's like, go do your job, right? Figure it out, (laughs) go do your job. And then here you are, you've written a book, you figured out things that worked for you. So what was the process for you of figuring those things out? How did you go about it? Oh, wow. Well, this is something else I learned. And this last job was probably the most, my boss and I, I hate to say this, 
because it sounds so bad, but we had kind of a love-hate relationship. And I think it was a love-hate relationship at first because of the way that I learned. And I think it was hard. It's hard on other people outside of our personal circle of friends to learn how to deal with us because we're quirky for one, but we have a very different way of living life. And we have to do it like that in order to function in life. And so to the average person or to a fast, rapid-paced learning person, they're like, why are you doing that? It's like, because that's the way I learn. That's the way I learn. That's the way I do life. (laughs) And it works for me. It works for me. And so my boss struggled with that. But in the first, she was really, really good for me in this sense that she didn't give me a how-to manual of how to do my job. And it was a standard procedure. This is the other challenge I had to overcome. She didn't give us any how-tos, no training, nothing in how to do our job. And we had to be resourceful. And it was part of a testing through the three-month trial period of being in the job of how resourceful you could be if you could find the right people to reach out to because we were a nationwide company, actually a worldwide company. But in our nation, we had networks of people that did the same job. So one day I thought, you know, I'm not losing this job because I've lost so many jobs before. And I thought, I'm going to call somebody in another state that won't ever probably remember me in the company. And the girl did it. She gave me the how-tos, the outline, and I just started boom, 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 putting it on my calendar and boom, 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 and providing my boss all these things. And she was just kind of, I think, pleasantly surprised, but really shocked at the same time because it's a really hard thing to do. And so it was a way they also tracked you to see how well you could advance. And so I ended up being one of her favorite admins, actually, because I kept her on track and the system worked for her. So the hard thing to do in your mind was that call to someone you didn't know to ask for help or for implementing what that person gave you? I think for implementing, because I'd never been forced to, I've always been an out-of-the-box thinker, but for analyzing and higher critical thinking, I think ADHD people become really codependent upon people doing things for them. And it forced me to do it myself. It forced me to learn myself. And that was the best lesson anybody could have ever pushed me into. And you had a structure that she gave you, this other gal gave you, but you had to take on the responsibility of actually doing the work to make it happen. No, no structure was given at all. Actually, my dad was a military man and my dad had implemented structure in my younger years. And that was the first time that I'd actually had to implement because I was kept racking my brain thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And then I thought, what would dad do? And then I remembered all these life lessons and I thought, I've got to reach out and find somebody who can teach me. And I did. And I did. And it taught me about being self-sufficient. It taught me about relying, not just, you know, going to somebody, expecting them all the time to give me the answers, but learning for myself. Because my dad used to always tell me, if you don't know the answers to somebody, go look it up in the dictionary. Well, today we would say, go Google it, go Google something. And so I was constantly looking things up, constantly. And I would surprise the heck out of my boss. And she was like, well, that was fast. That was fast. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) the silent victories are what matter. Well, you'd already set a benchmark for yourself of being successful in that job. Well, and what was so cool too, is that she supported me when I went back and got my master's. And when I wrote my book, she was totally stunned that I wrote a book. And I wrote a book, actually, the reason why I wrote my book was to get the hurt out. 
I just wrote about my life experiences. And then I thought, well, maybe this will help somebody. And I put tools in there about what I did. And then it took off and went to number one. <laughs> and blew all of our minds. And so it's been a wild ride. I'm not kidding. All unexpected, completely so, unexpected. So talk to us about your book. Just assume nobody's ever heard of it before. And now I'm going to get people who listen going, duh, I heard of Melissa before, but assume they don't. Talk about your book and then maybe a couple of the key points that you think if someone were just going to walk out with two to three things, if that's all they could pull from my book, this would be the most important place to start. Not that's all they would get, but what's the title of your book? How long ago did you write it? We know you wrote it because you could. And you wanted to get the herd out. Actually, for me, I wrote it to help people too, but to help myself. But my first encouragement that I always, the first question that I always get asked by parents when I was doing my book signings was, can you please, they bring their child in and they would be asking me, can you please tell my child about this condition of ADHD? And the first thing I always tell those children was, I want you to know that you are a brilliant out-of-the-box thinker. And that you have a high IQ, and that's why you get bored. And I would use that opportunity to start educating the parent about their child and telling them, you think about life differently. And I said, and the one thing, I said, you are not stupid. I said, if anybody ever tells you that, you just tell them you don't know me. And you wait until I get about five years down the line. Because when you see me, I'm going to be somebody. And just really pumping up their self-esteem and letting the parent know, too, that these children really struggle with self-esteem issues because of the learning process. And so it's just educating them and educating the parents that it's okay to be different for one. It's okay to be different. But for two, the reason why their child is hyper, the reason why their child gets off on bunny trails is because their brain is misfiring. And so stress is the number one trigger that causes that process to happen, which causes the synapses to start misfiring and the child loses focus and they go off on all these bunny trails and things. And so Putting them on meds, I give the parents an option. You can go natural, you can go on meds, your choice. But in the younger years, I'd really, you're either going to have to make sure your child is an avid exerciser and they eat on a strict diet to maintain good nutrients and to maintain this ability to focus at high levels. It, because exercise also promotes that by promoting good endorphins and things like that that are released when the exercise happens, which aids the brain. But a lot of parents don't have patience for that. But I let them know about that, about good nutrition, the essentiality of good nutrition, and about how to keep the child, you know, really focused on healthy self-image. I think that is the key. Because if, if perception's reality to me. The way that I perceive myself is my worldview. It's my truth. And so if I see myself as a failure, then, you know, I'm going to wind up and walk through life a failure. But if I see myself as an overcomer, that's a totally different ballgame. Yeah, that's a game changer. So that's the advice I'd get. That's a powerful message for anybody to have, like just wait five years, right? Because also, well, there's always that I should see results right now. How come it's taken so long? It's been two days. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Am I overstating that? No. 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 I know people go, well, I've been exercising two days or I've been taking this medication for my cold for two days, whatever. How come I'm not healed? And you're thinking it's two days. It's been two days. Well, it takes us a while. Think about this. When we get hurt or when we gain weight, same process. Take us a while to put it on. It's going to take us a while to get it off. 
And when we get hurt through trauma, it took us a while to have those layers put on. So it takes us a while to walk it out and get them off. And so it's a layered system. And so you get the layers peeled off. And so it's being gracious to yourself, to me. What are some of the tips you have for adults, either helping themselves or their children to start peeling those layers back once they're there? First of all, give yourself a break because a lot of people in life don't understand what it's like to be us. And for me, you know, I think a lot of it is I have a really strong spiritual life. I try to maintain that. I think that's a key factor. I, I try to exercise, although I haven't been the best about it lately. I'm usually really good about that, but maintaining a calendar. And I know that at first it's hard for a person with this learning condition to get into, but if you can make this your second best friend and put the calendar, you know, things to do and maintaining when jobs are due, when your spouse wants you to go by the store, what have you, you'll save relationships, you'll save time and you'll save a lot of headache for yourself. But it's learning to organize. That's the key because implementing structure, we thrive. We thrive in well-structured environment. We thrive. And if you can learn to create your own structure, it's game on. It's all your, the world is your oyster. (laughs) That's what I tell people. The structure that you create would be unique to each person? Yes, ma'am. Probably. Depending upon the level of where they're at in the growth process of ADHD, because the less mature the brain, the less mature the cognitive abilities, and which means the less ability the brain has to maneuver into higher critical thinking. And so teachers need to be educated about it. I educated my college on it. I've gone around and educate universities on that and professors because not every child grows at the same rate as another child. So we all have different growth rates. So that's my advice on that. Now, are you working directly with any kids or parents in this work right now as part of your research or just outside of that? Not directly right now. I'm pretty much focused on a deep inner healing uh, ministry type of thing. I'm in ministry. And so I work with people on working from the inside out as far as overcoming obstacles. But as far as universities and working in secular settings and things, I really, I love working with professors and offices of disability services to help college students. Because I think those are the ones that get hit the hardest, especially freshmen, incoming freshmen. They're going through, I mean, life changes. They've just come out of high school. They're in a major transition. They're trying to leave home. They're trying to grow up. And it's all these major changes at once, which creates stress. Number one trigger of the condition. So on top of that, they have a learning condition. So they have to go into a new environment and try to create structure. But if they can grasp that and implement coping skills, and I, and I offer teaching offices of disability services to talk about using colored highlighters using color blocking in classes and taking notes. Instead of having 20 pages of notes, you highlight each key point, say in pink for one point, blue and one point, yellow, et cetera, et cetera, on the color chain. And it's easier for the brain to compartmentalize the information saying, well, I have five components of information versus 20 pages to memorize. And then that child can ace that class or that student can ace the class. That's how I do it. I mean, I hope that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it seems easy for me. Why, why can't you do it? But no, it does work. That really actually does work. And it actually helps the brain. Instead of handing me, I tell students, if I, I ask them, or do you get overwhelmed by information on a sheet of white paper with black ink? 
nothing else. And they're like, oh my God, yes, oh geez. And so that's because your brain is struggling to organize the information. So, so you have to learn how to use these colored highlighters. And you highlight your high points to help your brain organize the information. And then you go study. And so I'm teaching them about that, teaching them about utilizing colored uh, post-its at work. I had over 50 or 100 almost at one time. Juice drive my boss crazy all over my computer. They were all over. And she's like, how do you work like that? And I was like, I can't work. You don't want me to take them down. Trust me. (laughs) That's my world. (laughs) Well, being someone who relates to color, what I use it for is to tell me whether I need to pay attention or not. Right. So if it's it's just white, it's information. I'll get back to it. If it's got a color on it, it does mean something to me. And having never been diagnosed ADHD, when I read like, you know those things that say, if you experience this, you might be this, right? I never hit all of them. But what I, one of the biggest reliefs for me in my late 20s was learning that interruptions just put me back hours, right? So yeah. saying, can I just have a minute? And when I learned in my head to say, your minute is a half hour for me to get back on track. Then it was really easy to say, sure, when can we schedule that minute? <laughs> because now it's not that minute. But it is that. And I'm wondering also, I think folks, at least what's being communicated to me in the companies and the groups that I work with is stress is higher than ever. Yep. Mm-hmm. So regardless of learning abilities or processing, everybody's stress level has gone up. So it sounds like just understanding some of these techniques help deal with that onslaught because it does raise your cortisol. And it definitely. There was a time actually that I had such high cortisol levels. My doctors wanted to hospitalize me and I hadn't, that was before I actually got diagnosed and I had to learn. And this is something that has to do with the high stress levels today as well, is that technology doesn't help it. It doesn't help it because it just speeds things up faster. We want information or expectations or unbelievably off the charts with McDonald's drive-through mentalities of I want it yesterday. And that doesn't help it. That doesn't help it. And so what I've learned to combat the stress and combat the high cortisol levels that are created by stress is to schedule time for me. I mean, and I'll tell people, I'm, uh-uh, after five o'clock, I'm not available. I'm not working. I'm not working. And I don't even answer my phone. And if I get texts or messages, I don't answer those. It's my time. My time with family you know, my time for me. And so that's a way to combat that. But even at work, I mean, helping our bosses to understand, well, would you want me to call you at 10 o'clock on a Saturday night? (laughs) I will. I really will. (laughs) If you want me to, (laughs) I don't think you want me to. And so therefore I'm going to cut you that break. But yeah, it's just setting boundaries, setting boundaries with people, learn to set boundaries. And we're not all always good at that. So I think I'm glad that you said we're not always good at that because I think folks know what needs to happen, right? I know I need to set limits. I know I need to calendar time for myself. And I also have said that to myself. And then I look at my calendar and it's easy to say, oh, I'll do that later, right? But so it's been a process of changing habit, changing practice. So what are some of the tools or triggers or whatever that help you when you see that come up to say, got to go. It's five o'clock. Or did, were you able to do that immediately just to make that decision and go? I was at first, I think, because I love what I do so much right now. 
that I love helping people. That's always been the only thing I've ever wanted to do all my life was to help people. And so now I'm in this field of doing what I love to do and I can get immersed in it. And so I really have to make myself, when I see that it's a, a encroaching upon, like say the five or six o'clock hour, because I can work until I get up at eight in the morning and I can work till two and three in the morning because that's just me if I love what I'm doing. But I can see where it's kind of taking, you know, it's toll on me if I'm getting like in that place of, what do you say, when you cabin fever, you get cabin fever and I'm not getting out enough and socializing or what have you because I just enjoy working. But I have to kind of force people out and say, you know what, I'm, I need to go right now. And, and they'll, they get bent. They get kind of bent sometimes, but it's just, if it were them, they would feel the same way. You know, when they get want to do something, we all want what we want, right? We all want what we want. And so I just kind of, kind of put it back on them and say, you know what? I'm going to let you get back to your family. I know you've got things to do and I'll start there first. And then it's like, oh, no, 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 no. It's okay. I've made time for you. Well, I've got to get off the phone. That's when I move into, you know, DEFCON 2. <laughs> we live it on the chain. I got to get off the phone. <laughs> It's boundary setting. It's being a firm boundary setter. And you're not always going to make the best of friends doing that, but it'll also keep people within a balanced circle and within your perimeters. So I try to maintain that. Okay. So I've got a couple questions for you before we wrap. And how do you rejuvenate yourself? So if you're someone who can work till like one or two because you love what you're doing, where is your renewal? Like what types of things do you do to renew? Do you read? You talked about a spiritual practice. Where do you get your renewal so that you can have that vibrancy? Gosh, I do it a lot of different ways. And that's where the creativity comes in because in my job, see, this, is another, this isn't probably the best advice either because I love to create. And so I get to utilize in my field everything I love to do. I get to create flyers. I get to utilize my artistic abilities there and I get to help people at the same time. And so, but when it's time, for me time, I usually start craving being around people. And so we have some great neighbors. I've got great friends and we just schedule time to go get coffee or to go get a glass of wine or whatever we like to do, you know, take a walk, whatever, something healthy and just spend time, quality time with people and dialoguing and just talking about our day's events and stuff. And so I try to schedule that like once a week for me because I'm usually a very, very busy person. And so, yeah, I think that's my need. It may be more for some and less for others, but that's my need. That's how I try to approach that. Was that social connection piece? Oh, big time. Yeah. I think we all need each other. And technology kind of gets in the way of that because it's, I'll just get on Facebook. Well, Facebook's not going to do it for you. You need to go get a live and get off of Facebook. People, I tell people all the time, it's like they complain on there and things like that. And it's like, dude, you need to get a live, man. You need to go out and make some friends because there's just more to life than social media. So, oh my God. Anyway. So are you a reader? I do love to read. I'm usually reading every day, something every day, but I used to read about five books a week or every two weeks, probably every two weeks. And because they all would join hands, so to speak, and they, the message would be conjoined. So I was always learning about multiple different things at one time. But then again, that's my kind of, what do you say? an overachiever thing. And so I was always utilizing it in research and stuff. So yeah. So now I have a technical question. And the whole thing is I, when I said I only had two more questions, total lie. I have one more question to that. <laughs> um, cool. Well, because this is a personal interest of mine and someone asked me this exact question two days ago. So you've got all this different 
disparate pieces of research, right? But you may not know when you're reading those books how they're going to connect later. You just know Mm. there's a theme through them. And the question asked of me, and today when I was looking for something, I'm going, I got to get better at that, is how do you link those things so you're not having to wonder what I do with them? Where do they go? Do you use a particular technology tool or process? Discernment. I use discernment. And I know that's a, that's a spiritual tool, actually, because I really believe that you know, God's always talking to us. And so, but are we listening? And I've always been really in tune with that. But I think that even whether it's technology or what have you, I go basically by interest too. you know, if, if my brain is drawn to something that I'm thinking, huh, this could help me here. And I, I bought books that I've read five or six years later, and they, they really tie into the season that I'm walking through. But it's really more of what the need is and how I apply it and discerning the information inside of whether I need it for that season. That's how I approach that, basically. Do you track pieces of the book in some kind of spreadsheet or thing if you're going to use it in research later? Or? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In research, we had to actually create an Excel spreadsheet. And when I'm doing that, actually, I take all the books and I've had maybe 100 books and I've like take key pieces of information out so I could cite them. And then I just have it outlined by topic. And so you can just revert back to the topic and it takes you exactly to what you need. So it's actually a really cool tool. Yeah, I wanted to get inside your brain on that one because I figured figured you'd already figured it out going, no, no, this is easier. You have a system for it. So Melissa, Missy, tell us where folks can find you. Where can they find your book? Where can they find you if they want to know more about you or your work? And then what's the next cool thing you're focused on? Okay. Um, You can find me at missyhood.com. You can buy my book there as well. I'll give you a signed copy. Or if you want to buy it on amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, you can buy it at any indie bookseller. They're available there. So it's up to you. Give you many different options. I can also be found on social media at author Melissa Hood or on Twitter at, at Missy underscore Hood. And I'm on Instagram, LinkedIn. I'm all over the place. I'm all over the place. I can't help it. I'm just everywhere. But um, I'm I'm getting really, really busy these days. And I'm working with a lot of people in counseling them and coaching them and things like that. And so I think the next cool thing for me is I want to start really, I've been doing some public speaking and I want to really ratchet that up and start traveling and getting involved, say in disabilities conferences, things like that. I think that'd be really cool because I really like working with university students and stuff. And so that's my next goal. What a great fit for you with your energy and your knowledge and your experience. That's perfect. I think I wear people out. (laughs) But thank you. Thank you. That's not a bad thing. No. Well, I want to thank you for taking time to be on the show today. I know that people are going to benefit from what you're sharing. I know I've benefited partly because I've got to smile and laugh with you, but also because you've shared some really great information. So we'll make sure to put links to your social media. Cool. And so if folks go to our page, they'll find that or they'll just find it on iTunes when they listen. So well, thank you so much. And we, I enjoyed uh, interviewing with you today, Sarah. You have a great rest of the day. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye. So that's it for this week's episode. If you liked what you heard, please hop on over to iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. 
This helps us get the word out to more people just like you who want to live a no-labels, no-limits life. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.